so we're going to, going to dive in from last week and just jump mid-sentence, mid-stream, so you can go to the Lesson 20 on YouTube. Our YouTube channel, our podcast has all the lessons there. This is Lesson 21, so uh, we'll jump in mid-stream, and then I'll try to catch everybody up. But here is the thought before we jump in of where I want to take you. You may hear in the le- next few lessons coming a lot of repetition. I never think it's a bad thing to reiterate over and over and over the things that are important, right? That's how we learn. It gets in our heart. It goes in deep. So, But where we're at is we've come to the location that God's kingdom, when we hear the word kingdom, we're talking about government. And we've come all the way through the Old Testament and we've landed in the New Testament with Jesus. And we left this thought last week. And that the thought was how silly of us humans to think we can do life without the help of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus himself needed the Holy Spirit and the Father himself relied on the Holy Spirit to empower Christ and to raise Christ from the dead. And then Christ himself, uh, and we'll look at this a little bit tonight, he left the Holy Spirit. So we're at the place of understanding. We're going to leave you at at a point tonight to pick up next week on really parsing it out very practically for us when it concerns local church, when it concerns my personal life, but to build the system of thinking that this Holy Spirit that we hear that is so denominationally biased, depending on what denomination you were raised in, how much you know of the Holy Spirit will probably depend on whether or not you were in a church or a ministry that believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, his gifts, his workings, or whether you've never heard. And so there's no denying that we've come to a point that we cannot, this is my thinking, we cannot deny the Holy Spirit if we want to see the kingdom of God at work in our personal life. And that could be why so many Christians ask the hard questions like, where is God? And why does this, this, and this, and this? Because what happens if we're not careful is I move more into a systematic understanding of God only through the Bible and not understanding that the the scriptures are to push me to Christ and then Christ fills me with his spirit. So it's this working relationship. Uh, He will even say to the Pharisees, and he says it in, Jesus says it in a very rebuking way. He says, the scriptures that you adhere to teach about me and you still miss it. So it is possible to read the Bible, believe the Bible, know the Bible, quote the Bible, confess the Bible, and still not be in a relationship status with the Holy Spirit. And so if not careful, we can become smart dead people. We were really brilliant. We can quote the scriptures, but there's no power, which is what Paul will say. You have a form of godliness, but there's no power. There's no intimacy. And I will say that both balance themselves well because the Holy Spirit without the word, you end up with a lot of chaotic people and people with the word without the Holy Spirit, you end up with a lot of funeral people, just dead religion over here and crazy chaos over over here, and my belief is, and I'll teach it as we go, that the merger of the two is the most incredible way to do life. So here's our thinking. We picked this up last week, but 
I'm going to let you fill it in again. In God's kingdom government, there is always the from, F-R-O-M, to the to, T-O. And we said last week in lesson 20 that God's kingdom government is always taking you from one thing to another thing. And we ran through, I think, 12 different things. I'll be very brief. Uh, he takes a tree and God takes a tree from a cypress tree and he turns it into a boat. He takes a piece of rock and he turns it into what we would call the Ten Commandments. He takes a stick of Moses and he turns it into a stake, a snake. So that what God is doing in his kingdom government is he's always transitioning us. He's transitioning us from the state of being and it's a union with the Holy Spirit. So the way God transitions things is the help of the Holy Spirit. The way he would transition Samson is the Spirit would come upon him and then Samson would take a, you know, walls and push him down and everything would cave in. So the transitional state going from a human being that has no ability to a human being that has been empowered and able is the Spirit of God. Because you don't go into the burning furnace as a human being and come out not dead or as ashes. But when you go in from something and God's spirit is there, you always come out being something totally different. So they burn him up in the fire and he says, oh, lo and behold, we don't even smell like smoke or a lion's den. And the spirit of God touches the mouth of the lions and they don't eat him. Now, this concept is, is the kingdom so that God is, this is what I find to be interesting. I don't think he's rarely stagnant. He's always looking for people to work with. You could have said amen there. That was a pretty good spot. Here's my thinking on that. My thinking on that is Jesus himself said this. He said, look, the harvest is mind-blowingly plentiful. But what I'm short on are workers. So even Jesus himself could have, I guess, as God, just wowed everybody with miracles and done all these crazy things and amassed a huge amount of followers. And then when he died and left the place, everybody just filters out and does their own thing. But Jesus knew what I'm trying to transition you from is I'm trying to transition you from a follower into a worker. I'm trying to take you from follow me to fish for people. And so his whole thing is he wants to partner with us, to work with us, and we work with him so that his kingdom is known on planet earth. And so I think this is what we're going to be talking about tonight because here's where it gets really shady is oftentimes we get born again and then we want God to work for us. So he becomes my slave. He answers all of my questions and and runs to all of my needs. And he becomes my little servant and my bellhop for me that I ring my little bell and I want God to to pony up to my little bell ringing in my faith and, and obey me. And what God is after is that's just not the gospel. The gospel is, Mark, you humble yourself. When I ring my bell, you answer. When I say, son, go here, you go. When I say, son, don't, you don't. And that becomes what God is doing. Now, as we said, that is only possible with the Holy Spirit. So here's what we want to get to and where it gets fun. And by fun, I mean challenging for us. 
Everything God wants to accomplish, we said this last week on earth, already existed. There is absolutely not one thing in the mind of God that God doesn't already foreknow. Everything that's happening already existed in the mind of God. That's what I mean by that. He, he is all-knowing. So whether it's 20 years in Mark's future or not, it's an hour away in the mind of God because he's eternal, overseeing all of time, it exists here. Now, the challenge to God is to take his will, we would call that his will, his thoughts, his mind, and then he wants to download that mind into workers, we call them humans, that believe him so that his will in the mind of God can be a reality in earth. And so the challenge would be, and we often say, why doesn't God just blow our minds? He's God. Why doesn't he just show up in the sky and just go boom and just for like 10 seconds, just ah, and we all look up and go, what was that? And then he just disappears and we all start tweeting like what in the world? Because I guess he could do that because what I read in scripture is one day the clouds will part and the scroll will be rolled back and there he'll be. But you think he'd, if he's God, he'd kind of play with it a little bit. He would kind of go boo and kind of make these people nervous, kind of show a little bit, but that's not his plan. What was his plan? That you would pray, thy kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I become the intermediary of the will of God and the mind of God to the earth in which I walk. It's all through the Old Testament. God could have easily just written it in the sky, but he didn't. He would download it to a prophet. And then the prophet would go tell the mind of God, David, you sinned. You need to repent. It's you. I guess God could have showed up and went, David, it's you. But he, he did it through Nathan. I guess he, you know, even when he did it with, uh, uh, I think it was Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I think that's who it was, in, in the book of Daniel, when Meany Meany Tekel Parson, he wrote on it, right? He wrote on the wall. He still needed Daniel to interpret it. You think God would have gotten Meany Meany Tekel, here's what that means. But they're at a party freaking out going, what is that handwriting on the wall? God wrote it. But here's what's brilliant. God wrote it, but took a human to interpret it. And God could have interpreted it because he wrote it. So sometimes we're waiting on God to interpret things that he's already done. And he's going, dude, I'm not going to interpret it. You get in here and put it to work and watch what I'll do with you. Now, when we do that, scared as we may be, and most people are, I'm just so scared. I'm timid. I don't know what to say. It, It becomes a challenge for the kingdom of God to manifest. So the real question we left last week, how does it become? Well, here it is. This is where we left off and we're going to jump in. The mind and the wisdom of God become a reality on earth is not a haphazard happenstance. The mind and wisdom of God becoming a reality on earth is not a haphazard happenstance. God's manifested heavenly will And here it is from last week is more a methodical. These are my choices of words. So I'm not looking for a scripture for this because I can't find ballet in there. But but I believe his will is more a methodical ballet. He wants to work with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to guide you and he wants to use you. 
My belief is if the people who profess faith in him genuinely believe this, our nation would turn upside down. It's that many people who confess Christ don't really believe this. We just talk about how much he loves us and how much he tolerates us and how kind he is. And God's like, look, dude, this whole thing, y'all been talking about me loving you for 2,000 years. Why don't you get busy? That's all y'all talk about is how much I love y'all. Dear Lord, yes, I love you. I died for you. I rose for you. But the reason I did that is to put you to work. And yet it's so much easier just to talk about love rather than get calluses on my hands. And what God is trying to get us to a place that we work for the kingdom. So because it's a ballet, uh, what I mean by that, it is a, it is very much a moving, if you've ever watched a dance, uh, a, a leading together, and I'm definitely not a professional dancer, but I do, I did sleep at a Holiday Inn one time. But I do know if you really want a frustration, put two people on the dance floor, a man and a woman, and tell both of them to lead. And it just doesn't go well. It just doesn't really fare well when that happens. Robin and I were at a wedding not long ago and we stepped out on the dance floor and uh, we were dancing and, and she, I was spinning her and she was like, just stop. And I'm like, that's what, the, that's what I do. I lead. You follow. It was very hard for her to follow when her personality is, I want to lead. So the other night we were on a date night at Rays on the River and we were out on the patio just sitting at a couple of tables and there was about 20 people out there and they started playing this slow song and so I just got up from the table, I walked over to my bride and she said, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, get out of that chair, I want to dance with you. And she said, no, no, sit in a dance floor, it's a restaurant. I said, I don't care what it is. Right now, you're my bride, and I want to dance with you. Get up. We're going to dance, and I don't care what these people think. And so we did. We just danced, and we danced the whole thing. We finished dancing. I pushed her chair back in. I went around. Now, at first, as we were dancing, you could feel the tension. She wanted to lead, but she's got 20 other people watching. And so you could feel the tension of her trying to go this way. And I would say, no, we're going that way. So I would whisper in her ear, go left, go left, go left. There was nothing romantic about it. All the women are like, that's so romantic. It wasn't romantic. Okay, we're going to go the other way. Go right, go right. Pretend like we know what we're doing, right? <laughs> we sat down, we ate dinner. But then after that, we, were, we went out to the river. And so we, we walked down to the river and a lady was coming up the sidewalk and I never met her, don't know her. She said, I just have to say something. And I said, yeah. And she said, you two dancing in there was so inspiring. She said, I watched you all dance and it was just, it was so touching, it was so moving. And she looked at me and she said, thank you. And I was like, Okay, yeah. Like, I felt romantic now. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, oh yeah, we dance all the time. You know? <laughs> I didn't want to tell her I was an idiot, you know. <laughs> I'm probably going to get in trouble later. But I said that to say that I think that's how it's supposed to be. I think I'm to be out in the world, not tense with God, but just moving with him. 
and going where he says go. And I'm not stressed. I'm not worried. I, and it, it is awkward sometimes when you're a Christian. It, it's different. It doesn't fit the way of the world. It, but my belief is as you're in this move with God, strangers come up and go, why are you so different? What's going on with you? And all of a sudden this, I believe the way God wants to capture the world is when we move with him. And in the movement, people's lives are changed. But come on, if you're a human, it's hard to dance with God because we love being in control. So here, I had to Google this to find a good word. Here's the troop. And by the troop, I mean in the dance floor, here's all the, all the moving parts of the dance floor. Number one, his will. His will is unknown. His will is in his mind. His will is eternal. His will never changes. His will has been the same from the beginning until the end. When you say, I want to know the will of God, that sounds really, uh, in a nutshell, kind of superficial. I just want to know God's will. There's no way. It would blow, your mind would blow up if God showed you his will. You could not handle it. It's why God never, ever, rarely shows you too much of the future. Because the moment he does, peace out, you're going to try to make it happen. It's why God loves keeping you coming to him every day. And rarely does God show you much more than this because he wants you to stay in the game with him. He wants you moving with him. And so if he shares too much with you, uh, we humans get, you know, our brain kind of gets so far out there, we start trying to make it happen. And I will say this, if God's involved, you will never figure out God. Get as smart as you want. You will never figure out God. It's why it requires faith. You can't figure him out. It's the most illogical thing ever. That's his will. Now, what God is attempting to do, and we would call this the mind of God. Corinthians chapter 2 will call this the thoughts of God. For who knows the thoughts of God except his spirit? And then if we get into this, we will find out later, he literally wants to download those to you. That's weird that God wants to download his thoughts to you. So this, this tells me he's inviting me into the dance. Well, the question becomes, how does an eternal being that is a spirit take the will and manifest it to where people know his glory? Well, the second thing he has to do is he has to verbalize his will. Uh, I can sit up here all night long and keep my mouth shut and, and you can try to think of what you think I'm thinking. You can look up there and go, well, he looks a little disheveled. Is he thinking this? He looks happy. Is he thinking that? Like if I don't express what's up here, you're just guessing all the time. Does that make sense? So the mind of God is great, but the mind of God without the word of God is, is here's the word I'm picking. It felt good. So I'm going to say it. It's futile. The mind of God, his will has to have his word. Right. That's if you go look at Genesis without belaboring that point and God said, let there be light. So we'd have to say light was already in his mind because the mouth can only say what the brain tells you to say. 
It's not your mouth that's making the sentences. It's the brain that puts it all together and then out it comes. So when God said, let there be light, it was already in his mind. But when he spoke it, it became a reality. So this is how God works. There's always his will. And then there's always his word. So the will, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. That's the will. I want them delivered. And and then go tell them to do that. And this is what you tell him. I am sent you. But with everything, God, the ballet, it always includes dust. Now, by dust, I mean the the stuff of earth. Everything God does is the stuff of earth. Sticks, trees, fish, wells, bears, donkeys, palm branches, gold, linen. I mean, he, he picks all of that. So that, here's where it gets interesting, so that his will is known through his word, but becomes tangible in the dust. So it's the dust that brings the tangibility to it. So he says, let the water go and let the land come up. And so once he spoke it and began to speak to the land, it becomes tangible. Now, what he did when he said, let us make man in our image. Anybody want to guess what he made him from? Dust. So God has a will and he says it in heaven. Here's his will. And then he says what it is. Let us make man in our image. So there's the verbalization of his thinking. But for that to be a reality, he takes a lump of dirt and molds it into a clump, I guess to look like a human maybe, I don't know, but that's kind of what the, it intimates that he kind of made a claymation of a human body. Well, actually it'd be a claymation of himself because he made it in his image. So God's sitting there kind of going, okay, well, I kind of look like that, so I'll do that. And, And then God steps back. Now the reality is... If God made all this really cool stuff, why doesn't God just burp out a human? Or not even worry about humans, just do it all yourself. But the moment God did the dirt into the image and this dust becomes critical to his government. Because the will of God and the word of God to change things on earth, it has to connect with dust. And when it does, you better buckle up because it's incredible. Now, this thought, we'll look at it later, but to put it in the seed in your mind, the same is true with Lucifer, who's a spirit being. The way his will manifests is that he needs dust. So that by the time Jesus shows up, he's pretty much done a pretty good job with this because people are demon possessed and spirits live in it because they need dust to work. It's why they say, please, if we got to get out of this, just send us to the pigs. Why? Because we need dirt. We can't do what we do without some housing of dirt to accomplish what we could do. You think a spirit could just go... But even the spirit knew that doesn't really work well. I need an avenue to accomplish what I need to accomplish. So I need a pig. I need a human. I need something. 
Hollywood. I need something. Well, dust is just dust until a spirit being blows on it. If you read the story of Adam, God took the dust and breathed into his nostrils and it states that man became a living being. Now the moment God breathes, what we start getting is glory. And by glory, I mean the, the thinking of God becomes the reality of God so that I don't know the weight of God until I see the glory of God and I go, dude, he's big. Because I really can't know the bigness of God if he's a spirit, you can't see him. But I know the bigness of God by looking at what the breath of God does through the dust of God and brings glory to God. And I go, wow, he's big. And that's the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is the word became flesh, got filled with the spirit and was the glory of the father. Now, the, the funny thing about this is this spirit being father who had a will manifested his glory because dust walked around by the name of Jesus and did miracles. And those miracles brought God glory. But not one miracle happened until he was breathed upon at his baptism. Nothing happened. So even though he was God in dust... He could do nothing to bring glory until the breath hit him and empowered him. And at that moment, it's just like, and this is why, as we'll go there in the future, this is why you will hear things of Jesus say, Father, it's not my will, but it's your will. I said this to a friend this week. Jesus did not want to die for y'all. You think he did. That's what we tell you. Jesus loved you so much he died for you. No, 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 no. Not biblical. Jesus loved the Father so much that he died for you. Because he said, I don't want to die for these people. But nevertheless, not what I want, Father, but what you want. So, so it, it is the love of the Father. It's the love of the Father to you. But it's the obedience of Jesus. Because what the father needed was a dust flesh that would say your will be done to bring glory so you and I can now be friends of God rather than enemies. Now that thinking, if I could sum it up, is how the entire kingdom of God always works. These people have to be on the dance floor. The will, the word, the dust, the breath, the glory. They have to be on the dance floor. So that if I hang out with you long enough or you hang out with me long enough, we would ultimately need to get to number five and go, do I see God's life in you? Yeah. And if we hang out for over a month and you see no evidence of life, no evidence at all that I'm different, then we would assume that God's breath is not part of my daily life. Yeah. <clears throat> I may be religious, but I don't have breath. So what I really am is a lump of human trying to do his Bible and I just can't get it to work and I'm always frustrated and I'm always saying, well, thank God he ain't done with me yet. Once a sinner, always a sinner. Be patient with me. God's still working on me. All those people that say that typically are just dust trying to figure out the Bible. Because once you've been breathed upon, you're like a sinner. 
I'm not a sinner. It's gone off my life. It has no power over me, no control over me. Once a sinner, yes, but I'm not always a sinner. I died and came up brand new. So, so if you're sitting around thinking, I just can't get rid of this addiction, then just ask, well, when was the last time you've been breathed upon? And the reason it's breath is because it's not a one-time. It's good. It's good. And maybe that's why a lot of Christians just walk around defeated because they're trying to live off one breath a week. Come in here and hope somebody in here has got the breath for you. It's got to be all the time. Now, let me show you what I mean by ballet. God did it so perfectly when he put his breath into the dust. It was done so perfectly in his will that you don't even have to think to breathe. How terrible would that be? Be sitting here talking to Marlene. So Marlene, how was your day today? Oh God, breathe. Ah, did you have a good day? Oh God, breathe. Ah, and if you're running, breathe. Ah, oh God, I forgot to breathe. Ah, you would never get anything done. Nothing would get done. And yet that's how most people are in the ballet with God. It's just a mental torment of always like, I got to remember. I got to remember to pray. I got to remember to read my Bible. I got to remember. And it's like, what? It should just be as natural as... I mean, when you go to bed, you don't go to bed and go, God, oh, please, tonight, let me keep, let me remember to breathe. Like he put within your DNA something that just tells you breathe. And you don't even think about it. You just, now you're thinking about it. You're like, I got to better breathe. (laughs) And if you got an Apple watch, it's like, hey, fat boy, it's time to breathe. (laughs) So even Apple's trying to help you. But God made you in such a way that the breath that you breathe as an earthly human, it should be that easy. It's why I tell people when you get with the Holy Spirit, it's not complicated. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, for my yoke is my yoke is easy. You got to learn to breathe with me, boy. You got to stop breathing in the world and you got to learn to breathe with me and move with me and walk with me and listen to me. And when you do, oh man, it just becomes a journey. And even when something throws you for a loop, you're not even worried. You're just like, I'm not worried. I'm just walking with him. Right? So this becomes the challenge. Now here's the deal. It becomes, here it is. It becomes the challenge Uh Oh, sorry. It becomes the challenge because I'm shoved in the middle of it. I have that which is heavenly and I have that which is earthly. And I find that most Christians don't balance this well. We either are real heavenly minded and not really very good on earthly stuff. Or as Paul said, y'all are just all really carnal doing your own thing, acting your own way, blaming it on the Holy Ghost. So shoved in the middle of one and two, the will and the word, and four and five, the breath and the glory, is the dust. That's me. Now this is what Paul will teach us in Hebrews. Without faith, 
It's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Come on. You could just kind of hang here for a month. He rewards you if you seek him. Not he rewards you when you whine all the time about how terrible your life is and wonder where he's at. He says, seek me and I'll reward you. But that takes faith. So what we move with is this right here. We move with that the upward side of Mark is faith. It's going to require faith. Now here's the thing about faith. It will never make sense. Never. Never, 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 never. Because how can a human know the mind of God? He even says, my ways. <laughs> Not even your ways. And yet there's an incessant desire to try to figure God out. I counsel people all the time, what do you think God's doing? I don't know what he's doing. Like, ask him. See if he'll tell you, I guess. I, like, that we can figure him out. But here's what I know. When I'm walking in faith, and I can't figure out what in the Sam Hill he's doing, I do know this. He's working all things to my good. Now, that might be a month, two months, five years. But I guarantee you, if I keep moving with him, it's going to be good. Because I have to stay, here's what it actually says, the scripture, to those that are called according to his purpose. So God's not obligated to work dust out when you're not under his purpose. You quote the scripture all day long. He's going to work all things to my good. No, if you're called according to his purpose, you have to be under his purpose for him to work it out. Otherwise, you just want him to be a lucky rabbit's foot and that's not what he is. This verse is interesting because this is where it gets really dusty. And I think we all argue this and it's going to definitely, it's a debate topic. You say in James chapter two that you have faith, the good we do because we believe there's one God. And then he just says, good for you. Even the demons believe this. Well, now it's like, dear Lord, I thought I was doing so good. And they tremble in terror. How foolish, verse 20 of James 2. Can't you see, and then this phrase that people argue tooth and toenail, faith without works is useless. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And now I go back to what I believed is that in this faith thing, God is asking me to put some works to it. Now, what typically happens is I have faith and then I want God to work. That's why I put my faith in him. Why? Because I need you to do this for me. So do it. Now, I'm down here waiting. And then as soon as it doesn't happen quick enough, I go back to the Bible and go, all right, let's see. All right, maybe I need to fast. All right, okay, I'm going to do a fast. But then I get really confused because when I Google fast, there's the Daniel fast, there's the intermittent fasting, there's holy fasting, there's non-holy fasting, there's, it's just like there's the water fast, there's the only fruit fast, there's the don't eat anything fast, there's the you could die tomorrow fast, there's all of it. And then, I, and then I do it and I start fasting and I just get emaciated and hungry, nothing. And I'm trying to just make God do something for me. 
If I quote enough scripture, he's obligated to do it for me. Do it for me in the name of Jesus. I'm not opposed to that. He does say ask. But what I read is your faith without your works is what's dead. So he says, here's what I want you to do, Mark, my word. Go put it into practice, boy. And I'll breathe upon it. And it'll be astounding what will happen. So God does many times ask things of us that in the mental logic is just silliness. We built this building and I heard clearly, as clearly as I resonated to be God, though I have no way to say or know except what I heard resonate on the streets of New York City frustrated pastor building that we were in was falling in it was old we had already jacked it up and had post holding it up and you we were holy ghost but holy ghost with no dancing because it could cave in so it's like get excited but not too excited and anybody overweight needs to stand in the back because the front could cave we don't want to cave so all the skinny people sat up front all the skinny people all the skinny people because literally the floor was doing this and when you would dance, the kids in the basement would watch the floor go, whoo, whoo. So at any given moment, we could have murdered all the children down there. So I was frustrated with no money. How are we going to do it? We had just gotten here. And I heard the Lord, what I believe to be his voice, say to me, show me the plans and watch what I do. So I came home and shared it with the folks. And we drew this up. Now, now go figure. It's the day that we're going to do it, and we're like, well, the bank wants us to tear this out, so here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to leave this property, and we're going to have to find somewhere to go. And another church in town said, hey, we heard you're looking for somewhere. Would you like to use our building on Saturday night? Now, my brain, my logic says you cannot uproot a church on Sunday, move them across town, and meet on Saturday, and that go well for you. Because we're going to take on a million dollar debt. We're going to lose people who don't want to go to church on Sunday. And we're going to go do Saturday church. There's no way, mental, we could do this. But the will and the mind of God breathed on the dust and said, this is what I want you all to do. Anybody remember that moment? On Third, on Saturday, I was down here taking TVs off. We've got to meet at five o'clock. It was probably uh, one-ish maybe. We were moving things and taking everything off because we're going to start just demolishing this building. And on that day, with me going, God, man, I'm just trying to do what your will wants. And I've added works to it because I've already told everybody we're leaving. I don't know how we're going to pull this off. I have no clue how you're going to do it. I don't even understand how Saturday church can make it in the middle of Georgia. And we got a million dollar debt coming. I don't even know how we're going to do this. We're going to go broke. But I'm telling you, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you put in my heart. And I just started taking things off the wall. Like that's my faith. Everything's coming off the wall. And I get a text from somebody that said, hey, I'd like to come see you. And I said, yes. And they came by and I was standing at that window and they walked into this door because at that time the stage was here and I was standing there and they came and said, the Lord told me to help you. And I'm thinking, good, you can help me take off some TVs. <laughs> but God was a step ahead of me because God knew I was, I was anxious about money. Could we do this? I don't want to fail. 
I don't, my dad turned it to me and Robin debt free. I don't want to fail this. I, but I believe this is God. And that person that walked in the door with my works, feeling like we're not going to make it, uh, donated $50,000 to the church. You better believe whether you believe in speaking in tongues or not. It's glory. And in that moment, I felt overwhelmed with humility because I thought, why did I ever doubt God? And I can tell you why. Because he waits till the last blooming second. <laughs> you could have at least come on Friday. Saturday at two when I got to meet at five. So what I do know is that he's not really concerned. And the reason we don't work is we've got him on a time crunch. And when he doesn't meet my time crunch, I get out of works and faith and I try to pull it off myself. Now here's the testimony. The testimony of faith, show me the plans and works. We got to leave and tear it all down. In that year and a half we were gone, we lost people. Our numbers went down and our finances skyrocketed. We had less people but brought in more finances that enabled us to complete this entire project, renovate the basement, build a kid's center, and come back in singing Kumbaya. And never missed one payment, never lacked a bill, never had to call somebody and say, look, we're having a weekday. Can you just hold off on the power bill? Oh, I cried a lot. I wondered where God was sometimes, but he comes through all the time. Because what does he need? He needs dust to believe him and then get busy acting like you do believe him. I know a lot of people that believe in, I think you should give. But when it gets right down to it, if you really, really, really want to know what you believe about giving, go broke. And then you'll know. As soon as you're debating, do I give this last $5 or keep it? You'll know real quickly. I was raised to be a giver. My faith was in giving. My father raised me to do it. I started tithing when I was 15. It's easy to tithe when your tithe check is 78 cents. I made $78 a week, $77 a week. So my tithe check was $7.70. That's easy. That's Here's you a 10, God. Like, no big deal. And I was proud to do that. Like, here you go. Give God 12. I'm going to go above and beyond. And then my wife was killed by a drunk driver. And short story is we decided not to sue the guy that was drunk. And we decided just to ask the insurance to cover the policy. And so by the time the insurance paid everything out, and paid all my lawyers out and paid everything, I was given a check for $333,333.33. And I was 23. Now when a 23-year-old boy gets a $333,333.33 check that's good with the bank, and you look at that and you deposit that, And for the first time in your life, you think, I can go to Dairy Queen and get anything I want. (laughs) 
right? Because when you're broke, you got to think about that blizzard. You got, I don't know. I can get a large blizzard with extra, 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 extra Reese cup now. Like just add it all up. Just matter of fact, give me, give me a truckload of Reese's. So I was this college student that now had that amount of money. So, you know, whatever that would be toward a million, a little over a quarter million dollars. But guess what's coming? Sunday. And if you want to know what you believe, sit down and write a check for $33,333.33 and just see if you believe in tithing. You should have seen me writing it. Do I believe in tithing? I think I, I mean, I, I do. I think I do. No, I do. I do. I do. I don't want to be cursed. I mean, that's what they say, but, but I'm not cursed. Jesus died. Like I'm literally debating this thing because what I realized real quickly is when I, when I ne- needed faith, it was a little easier, but when I got into my own works, it challenged to what did I really believe it? And I'll never forget the day I wrote it. I wrote it out on a check cause you couldn't digitally give then. And I'll never forget when I wrote it out and I let it go and I told God, I will never ever live my life trusting money and believing for money. I'm going to serve you my whole life. And I gave that tie check, man, you, you talk about freedom, just like an overwhelming, like God just has my back and God has my everything. So as we walk through his kingdom, know that he will always be trying to get his word and his will to manifest so that people around you can know he's real. Here's the thought. The methodical ballet is your faith producing works because you are in perfect step with the Holy Spirit. And this is where it becomes challenging like I told you before. It becomes challenging because I'm reading my Bible to get faith. I'm doing my best to walk it out, but I stay frustrated a lot, confused a lot. It's not easy. Now, the reason we say things like that is not that it's not true. It's that nobody ever really teaches us or disciples us, perhaps would be a better word, that how do I take my faith and walk in such perfect step with the Holy Spirit that the works become easy. The works become easy. Because most of us, the faith is difficult and the works are nearly impossible. But the reason that is, is because we're trying to do faith and works without the dance of the Holy Spirit. And so it does become frustrating. It does mark itself that I don't really know. So my belief of the ballet is that the will and the word and the mind of God produces your faith. Then your faith starts being works because you begin to walk in the spirit. So here is, I'm going to give you a few scriptures. I'm not going to belabor this, but I do want to give you scripture to prove what I'm saying. And so you can just have it. So I'm going to run through these quick, but all of them are, are the same thing. And the Lord God, Genesis 2, 7, formed the man from the dust. So there's what I was teaching you. From the dust of the ground, he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And here's what I've said. And he became a living being. The reason for that was so that the man could take dominion and bring glory to God. We find ourselves now in Luke chapter 1. 
similar to Genesis, which is interesting. Gabriel appears to Mary and says, greeting favored woman, the Lord's with you. Confused and disturbed. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> you love the Lord, but you're confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. He said, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus. And here's what's interesting. It, it wasn't that God could have simply said Jesus. He, he said, you're going to conceive, but you're the one that's going to give him the name. Which is, I'm going to give you the will. Here it is. His name will be Jesus, but I need you to name him. If you go read the story, you'll find how that came out. He will be very great and he'll be called the son of the most high. There's that kingdom thing again, the most high. The Lord will give him a throne. There's the kingdom thing again, a throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. And then the angel just lump sums tells us what? His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, I don't understand how this can happen. There's her faith. Her faith is trying to figure out the will of God, the mind of God. It's, it's kind of futile. I'm a virgin. There's logic. There's no way this could ever happen. There's no way you could manifest your glory in me. That is an impossibility. But the angel replies, oh no, here it comes. Ready? We all know it. The Holy Spirit is going to do this for you. So now we even see that how faith, when we try to figure out God, it is illogical. How does a virgin produce a child? You don't. It, it's impossible. You can't. Impossible. However, with my spirit, all things are possible. And then we get the kingdom kind of language again. And the power of the most high, that was lesson one, will overshadow you. So the baby, this is really cool, to be born. Where is the baby going to be housed? In her womb, right? God could have easily just went and birthed baby Jesus, handed her to him, said, now raise him. That, God could have easily done that. He did it with Adam. He could have just got some dirt, breathed in it, goes, here's it, name him, name him Jesus. Don't worry about your labor pains. I don't want to mess your wedding up. Here's the kid. Raise the kid. But God doesn't do that. God, in, here's how brilliant God is. God took his word and put it inside dirt of a womb of a woman and said the Holy Spirit will come upon that and then this woman will birth out the glory of God. Now that's salvation. It is a beautiful example that God is going to save me by his word, by the son that died, and then within me is going to inhabit me with his spirit so that the things that are impossible on planet earth can be possible, here it comes, as I birth it out. She had to push that thing out. She had to carry it for nine months, we assume. And then she had to add, birth it out. It even says in the Christmas story that we read, when it came time for birth, they're in Bethlehem. And, but she was the one that had to birth the thing. Well, if this be a true statement of God, his will, his word, the dust, the breath, the glory, we come to the beginning of the church, which is where we'll go in the weeks ahead. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven. There's the mind of God, like a roaring mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were all sitting. And it states this. Here's the thought. Kingdom government, best I can get it to you, is God's heavenly will. 
merging with human will in order for his purposes to be known. And this merger, nothing new, I just wrote it again so we could have it reiterated, recapitulated. This merger is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. So I hope you're kind of just hearing it so much, you go, okay, I get it now, I get it now. But here's the challenge, and this is what we're going to look at in the weeks ahead. I'm good with heavenly will. It's this human will part that scares me. Because now it comes real subjective. Well, I think it was God. Was it God? Well, the Lord said, well, I don't know if that was the Lord. That didn't sound like the Lord I heard. So anytime we throw in human will, we can potentially have a disaster. To what did heavenly will really say? Well, I'll tell you what I think. And I go, oh gosh, here we go. And you can get really confused real quick just by going to YouTube and Google the word Christian suffering and watch how humans try to define the heavenly will by trying to understand what's going on with one little word called suffering. And you'll have a million videos to watch and every one of them will be different. And every human's trying to explain it because we're all trying to figure out the mind of God. And you just come away going, well, I just got to pick a video that I like. Right? But all of that God is good with, and and I'm going to tell you why, because next week we're going there. He's good with it because his plan is brilliant. And all I need to do is get in that plan and watch his brilliance work. So here's kind of where we're headed. Galatians chapter 5 says something interesting. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free. And don't get tied up again to a slavery of the law, which is an interesting thought. He goes on to say, for you have been called to live in freedom. Don't you like that? Like he doesn't even intimate that it's difficult here. And I'm not talking difficult and people, but difficult with God. I've called you to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to do this, to serve one another in love. And now I begin to understand some consistent metric of his kingdom. Here it is, a consistent metric for God's kingdom government to tell whether or not it's starting to rule in your life. Two things, you repent of sin and you start serving others. So the one thing I can say about God's kingdom government is that God's kingdom government goal is that we repent and then we serve other people. The repentance causes a work to happen in my life and then I take that work and I serve other people so that other people come into the kingdom of God. But if I'm not repentant, I'll be a hypocrite. If I'm not repentant, I'll be struggling with my own issues and I'm never, I'm never making anybody jealous and I don't want to serve other people because humans irritate me. So the glory is not known because we either become selfish or we become scared. So here's where it comes down to. We'll end it here shortly. Galatians chapter five, it goes on to say, so I say, walk by the spirit And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh, and they're in conflict with each other, so that you cannot do what you want. In other words, there's this war, and the word walk means this. It means to regulate, to make progress, 
and to make due use of opportunities. So when God is saying, I need you to walk with the spirit, he's literally saying the spirit will regulate your life so that you make progress, so that you capture the opportunities on planet earth to make my glory known. So walking with him doesn't mean getting up at 8 a.m. and singing Christian music. That's good. It's a good thing. You should do it. You should have devotions. You should read the Bible. But what God is after is he's wanting to regulate your life so that you can progress so that the world can see your life and it can be an opportunity to bring other people into the kingdom of God. Now, here's where we're going to land the plane with this scripture and open it up next week. Here's what's so strange. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And here's the question I'm going to leave you with tonight. How can you have any form of rational government without a rule of law? You just get chaos. You got to have rules. Preacher, if we don't have rules, everybody will get a tattoo. If we don't have rules, women will start preaching. We got to have rules. We got to, can we smoke? Can we drink? Can we chew? Can we hang around those that do? Can you cuss? Can a Christian watch a PG movie, an R-rated movie? Can we watch R-rated movies with cussing but no nudity? And if it's nudity, can we close our eyes and keep watching it anyway because we've already paid for it? <laughs> and depending on what denomination you're in will depend on how many rules you got to follow. But what I read in Galatians is, I'll give it to you again, if you're led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. And this is a weird place because I'm going to teach it to you next week. How in God's name do I live on planet earth and not have rules to keep? To live holy, righteous, and godly. And how do I do this? And I'm going to teach you that dance next week. Let's pray.